You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. So everything about them other than the end result looks very much like a phishing attack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Gil Friedrich from Avanon, he's going to be talking about how some bad actors are infiltrating organizations using popular collaboration apps. All right, Joe, we've got some good stories to share this week. But uh, first, we have some follow-up, a couple of bits of business to take care of. Why don't you take us through what we've got here this week? Right, we've got two bits of follow-up, Dave. The first one is from Michael, who writes to let us know that Cybrary is not as free as it used to be. The free version now only gives you access to intro videos of courses, but no longer full courses. Uh, I, hmm. I recommended Cybrary a little while ago as a, uh, a good starting point. And it's, uh, you know, what has happened is Cybrary had that as, a, as an interactive or introduction, introductory uh, offer. And now that they've gotten some legs under them, they're going uh, with a paid model. So you really have to pay. He says the material is still great. You just have to pay mm-hmm. for it. Uh, mm-hmm. If anybody okay. knows, uh, you know, and the, the cost is reasonable. It's, it's, uh, it's not exorbitant. It costs about as much as Coursera does. So... It's not too much. So if you got 50 okay. bucks or 100 bucks a month you can spend on it, I, I would still recommend it. However, if anybody knows of any good free resources, I would appreciate it if they'd let me know. Send that into hackinghumans at cyberwire.com and let me know, and I'll, I'll share them here. I'll also do some research to find some good free resources. Um, All right. The second piece is Tobias writes in with, a, with an observation, and he says, Hello, Dave and Joe, big fan, yada, 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 and so on. I'm studying cybersecurity in Denmark near the end of my bachelor's, and I've noticed a weird thing that people do when I tell them what I do. As an example, I met a girl in a park last week. We got to talking, and I told her what I do. Her reaction was to ask me what cybersecurity is and then ask what constitutes a good password. She then opens her phone and the Note app and proceeds to show me all of her logins and ask me which ones are good. I, of course, recommended a password manager, Bitwarden, which is the one that uh, Tobias recommends. And upon hearing of this concept, she became very happy. She did have good passwords and no password convention, lots of variation, which is good. Uh, You know, naming conventions and passwords is bad. It makes them easy to guess. Uh, But this is not the first time this has happened to me. Sometimes people will tell me the base password and an example of a variation or how they construct their passwords. Now, granted, I'm a nice guy who can easily strike up a conversation, but it seems absurd that people would show and tell strangers their credentials simply because they are told that the person works in or studies cybersecurity, especially in a country like Denmark, which is heavily digitized. Do you have any experience with this? Regards from Denmark, Tobias. Um, I don't know, Dave, do you get experience? I've had people just blurt out their passwords to me. Yeah, yeah. This reminds me of uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, the talk show host, has a whole series of videos, and you can see them on YouTube, where they just go to people on the street on camera and ask them for their passwords, and and lots of people just blurt them out. Yeah, it's like, it's (laughs) my dog's name followed by the year I graduated high school. Oh, and what's your dog's name? 
It's right. Kevin. And when did you graduate high school? 1992. Okay. <laughs> so your password's Kevin1992. Yeah, you just figure that out. Yep. <laughs> wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, I think what this comes down to is, is something that, uh, that we come across here over and over again, which is that in general, people are trusting. Right. People are trusting of other people. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you could be trusting, but but also careful. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this sort of, I, I guess <laughs> you, you and I probably wouldn't do this because, uh, you know, the, the weight of the world has crushed our spirit and we are cynical <laughs> yes. uh, doing this show. Uh, and hopefully folks who listen to this show will know better than to do this. But yeah. um, at the same time, what are the odds that uh, if someone didn't come up to you and just say, hey, what's your password? Uh, in other words, if you were the one volunteering it to a stranger just in the course of conversation, I bet chances are nothing bad is going to come of that. Yeah, still not a good, uh, it's not not a good, good course of action. <laughs> right, it's not a good practice, but you are face-to-face with the person as opposed to being over the mm-hmm. internet. So, you know, you have actually established some real rapport. And, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying do this. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying I understand, you know. it's right. uh, exactly. It's, yeah, so yes, yes, Tobias, yeah. this has happened to us, and uh, we tell people, Shh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. All right. Uh, well, good, uh, good feedback from our listeners, and of course, as Joe mentioned earlier, we would love to hear from you. You can uh, write to us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, well, let's jump into some stories this week. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? Dave, this week, my focus on my story is all about fake information or information that's invalid or or wrong or, or deliberately so. It comes from Sue Peremba, who has an article on Security Boulevard. And one of the things in the article is that in March of this year, the FBI released a private industry notification warning the public that, quote, malicious actors almost certainly will leverage synthetic content for cyber and foreign influence operations in the next 12 to 18 months. Foreign actors are currently using synthetic content in their influence campaigns, and the FBI anticipates it will be increasingly used by foreign and cyber criminals for spear phishing and social engineering in an evolution of cyber operation tradecraft. So hmm. it's, it's coming. It's not only coming. It's here, but it's going to get worse. And then the article goes on to talk about three types of misinformation. Uh, And the first one is very common, very old misinformation uh, tool. It's called propaganda, right? And it is a popular political tool that spreads skewed information to grow an ideological base. And it's based on facts, but the facts are used selectively so the whole picture isn't presented. Like, Mm. here's an example. Russian track star finishes second in race. USA runner finishes second to last. This is a classic example. There's only two people running in the race, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but that's how they spin it in Russia, right? It's. Uh, uh-huh. I think this may have been a quote from somebody in uh, back in the '70s when they were talking about Russian campaigns and Russian propaganda. But uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Next are the two biggies of the current day, and that's misinformation and disinformation. And a common definition here is misinformation is spreading bad information without understanding that it's incorrect. In other words, the person is misinformed and spreading the information. And disinformation is deliberately spreading false information. Mm -hmm. There are three common elements used to 
manipulate the information for social engineering, engineering purposes. And the first element is missing context. This is information is presenting in a, presented in a misleading way uh, or some vital facts are missing, like in my propaganda example, right? <laughs> the vital mm-hmm. fact is that there were two people in the race. Uh, it's commonly manifested on social media as presenting a photo that has nothing to do with the caption. <laughs> and we see this all the time. Look, look at the right. riots going on in, in the U.S. right now. And it might even be a, a picture of some, some other country that, that's having some riot somewhere. Um, right, right. Or, or a, a gathering that was from a different time for a different purpose. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. we see these all the time in, in social media. I've just come to ignore them, but they still have the, the power of having the, the emotional effect. And that's really the entire goal of these things is to have the emotional impact upon the viewer. Mm-hmm. The next element is deceptive editing. Uh, here, the threat actor is taking something that was once a genuine photo or illustration or some media story, but then editing key elements so it distorts the reality uh, to a different message. And mm. we, th- we see this frequently as well with a lot of the uh, lot of the news sites that will take a, a news story and then take out key information or put in just fake information. It's just deceptive. It's deceptive editing. It's I like the term. Yeah, we've also seen some of these where, like, they'll take a video and they'll slow it down to make the person sound confused or drunk or something like that. You know, right, that's, that's exactly right, Dave. There was a thing with Nancy Pelosi that came out where she looked like she had had uh, a little too much to drink, but it was just a, a, a video that someone <laughs> had slowed down so that she sounded right. that way. Um, right. And I saw that shared on Facebook, and I'm like, this doesn't seem real to me, you know? It's just... it. it Threw up red flags. And the final one is malicious transformation. And this is the most serious of the three. It's where videos are altered through AI to create something that appears real. These are essentially deep fakes, right? We've seen these before. Right now, or in the past, they've been easy to detect because there's things like the deep fake images never blinked. And then the the deep fake editors were like, well, we'll add blinking algorithms. How about that? (laughs) Um, And it's, um, it's getting harder to, to detect them. It's getting harder to see them in, uh, you know, see them for what they are. So, right, these are going to become a real, uh, a real problem in the next uh, twelve to eighteen months. The FBI is saying so. We're getting ready for this, Dave. This is what's going to happen. But how how do you? I mean, we're getting ready for this. But w- what can we do to prepare ourselves? I mean, is it just a matter of? Coming into all this stuff with an appropriate amount of skepticism, taking a second look at things. Yeah, I think I think as as a as a consumer of media, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to we have to think critically about every piece of media we we see. Uh, where did this come from? Who is uh, who is who is doing this? Uh, what's the source that I'm looking at? You know, what's the provenance of this of this? journalism that I'm that I'm seeing mm. uh, that's a really mm-hmm. good a really good way is just, just go with a trusted news source and don't get your political or any news from social media I know I've said that a couple of times before on this show <laughs> just don't do it it's going to be all fake and manipulated it doesn't matter uh, from the from the corporate standpoint from like Facebook and Google and, and Twitter they're gonna have to be vetting this stuff as as real and saying nope this is a this is a faked image this is doctored this is incorrect this is a deep fake they need to really do better with that because it it is really deceptive or really effective deception to the human but there are artifacts left by the process that the computers can easily pick up right now 
Hmm. All right. Well, uh, we will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, my story this week comes from uh, Vice, uh, the motherboard uh, tech by Vice uh, website. And um, it's titled, Annoying LinkedIn Networkers Actually Russian Hackers Spreading Zero Days, Google says. Uh, let me ask you this, Joe. Do you get much spam on LinkedIn? No, I don't get spam. Like, are you talking about like message spam? Yeah. Yeah. No. People reaching out to you. I, you know, no, I don't I have, either. I have gotten a couple of people reaching out to me, but they're like, generally, Dave, when that happens, I just un, un, disconnect from them and block them. <laughs> <laughs> see, I see. <laughs> this is the friendly guy that you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're here to sell me something. You know, I don't I don't Goodbye. think LinkedIn is a sales platform. I don't think of it as sales. I think of it as a networking platform. And as soon as somebody tries to leverage it as a sales platform, I cut them out of my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I it's interesting to me because I see lots of stories from other people who say that they're constantly being hounded by recruiters or, you know, folks like that on LinkedIn. I don't really see any of that. And I think it's probably because my job title is listed as a podcaster and— <laughs> How many of those does the world really need, right? right. Yes, there are plenty of you out there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I do get hit up by recruiters. There's not a whole lot of recruiting. Yeah. yeah, okay. I do get hit yeah. up by recruiters, though. And usually I, I ask them a few key questions that they have a difficult time answering, and that's the end of the discussion. I see. All right. Well, this article starts off by saying that most LinkedIn spam is just annoying, but some new research from Google suggests that some of it might be outright dangerous. Evidently, mm -hmm. there were some Russian hackers who are targeting some European government officials uh, with LinkedIn messages, and the messages contained malicious links that were designed to exploit some zero days in Windows and iOS, hmm. according to uh, the reporting from Google here. Uh, real quick, Joe, uh, just for folks uh, who may not be up on this, what, what is a zero day? A zero day is a vulnerability that has not been published yet. So the reason it's called a zero day is because you have zero days to prepare for its execution. Um, right. There, there are mitigations you can do uh, once they're discovered, but if they're undiscovered, you're pretty much vulnerable to them. And if somebody mm -hmm. is exploiting one, then, you know, there's really not a lot that you can do. These vulnerabilities tend to be very, uh, very expensive and very valuable. So the fact that people are using them on LinkedIn is uh, interesting and it indicates that they really, 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 really want the target to uh, use the link. Right. Yeah. Zero days are, they're a high value thing and people don't use them just willy nilly generally. That's correct. So in this case, um, for example, one of the zero days was a zero day in WebKit, which is the browser engine on iOS devices. And mm -hmm. in fact, it is the only browser engine on iOS devices. It's one of those things, uh, it's one of the restrictions that Apple places on people. If So for example, um, you know, Chrome on iOS is is not using Chromium as its, as its um, underpinnings. It has to use WebKit, and it's something that Apple requires. Right. Uh, so there's a vulnerability uh, that has since been patched by Apple, but um, this zero-day allowed uh, these bad guys to steal authentication cookies on iOS devices from, from places like Google and Microsoft and LinkedIn and Facebook and Yahoo. So these authentication cookies would go a long way toward allowing them to log into someone's private account without needing uh, the the authorization that they would otherwise need. Right. And once they get in, they probably just downloaded everything. 
So yeah. even yeah. even though that even though the the vulnerability has been patched and even if you went through and invalidated all the cookies, all the information is probably already gone. Right, right. So uh, according to the folks over at the Google Research uh, Lab, um, they, they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, visibility into the success rate, but they said uh, that each month they send more than 4,000 warnings to their users about attempts by government-backed attackers or other illicit actors to infiltrate their accounts. And so that's just Google keeping an eye on this. Right. Uh, they did say that this is likely Russian government-backed, so it sounds like it was espionage sourced, right? I mean, it's yeah. Russian government folks going after European government folks. Mm-hmm. But I think the lesson here is uh, is one we've repeated, which is you just need to be super careful when clicking on links. Yeah, or don't don't click on them. <laughs> just don't use them. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> what, what's somebody going to send you that that you need? And I mean. They're, they're sending zero days, so this has to be effective, right? This has to get people to click yep. on the links uh, or right. else they wouldn't be expending zero days on them. But if some stranger sends me a link, I'm, I'm not clicking on it. We don't. We also we don't know the degree to which they're able to use other methods. You know, were they able to infiltrate the email account of a coworker, for example, right. and and have it come through that, and then use that combination of that with the zero day, which could very well be all it would take to get someone to yeah. go through. Yeah, if um, somebody compromised your your uh, LinkedIn account and sent me a, a message as you, I might do it. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I, so I, I don't know. I think this is a tough one to defend against when you have someone who has the sophistication of a state level actor, someone who is willing to use a zero day to get what they're after. Uh, it's a tough one to defend against. It I, is. I, um, I have a lot of empathy for the folks who fell victim to this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes as well. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Lucio who writes, This guy contacted me on Reddit and it seems suspicious. I went to the website but did not create an account. Great podcast. I started listening a few months ago and it's very eye-opening. So, uh... Dave, why don't you be the part of the uh, the guy that reached out, and I will play the part of Lucio. All right. <clears throat> Goes like this. I'm growing my social engagement, making new friends and mostly business partners. Nice. Thanks. Are you conversant with Forex trading? I know that it's a six-plus trillion market, but I haven't really dived into it. It sounds interesting. I work with professionals that can manipulate the market and make meaningful profits in return for investors. 25% is well assured weekly with a minimum of $100 to $5,000 for eight weeks with no risk or loss. Interesting. How do you do it? That's 100% for eight weeks? That's a great return in a month. And you said that's for eight weeks. So that would be a 200% return? How do I get in? Yes, weekly ROI is 100% guaranteed fam. Uh, sorry, I've been kind of busy. Uh, great account and uh, choose Forex trading as your investment package. You can give me a screenshot on Telegram or WhatsApp if you're having any difficulties. Here's the link. Right, and uh, th- you know this, this is where the conversation ends, but it's, it's very interesting. This guy is looking to move Lucio off of the 
the Reddit platform before he gets uh, found out by Reddit and Reddit terminates his account. Um, mm. And he is, uh, you know, they, he makes some pretty outlandish claims here. Like he has a, he works with professionals that can manipulate the market. He can ma- manipulate the foreign exchange market, Dave. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. what, what does he need Lucio for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. First off, right. let's think about that. The entire government of China works diligently or has, you know, they, it makes an effort to manipulate their currency. Yeah. Right. And they can only manipulate one portion of that market as a nation state actor. But mm-hmm. this guy, this guy can manipulate the entire market so that you're always yeah. guaranteed to make money on it. Yeah, it seems legit. Seems right. legit. I, I think uh, you 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 alluded to this, but I think it's worth highlighting that any time in any of these apps or any of these interactions, doesn't matter if it's on, like this on Reddit, it could be in a dating app. Anytime right. someone tries to move you off the platform somewhere else, right. that should be a red flag. Absolutely, it's a big red flag. Yeah. Yeah, so just file that away. Keep that in mind. Yes. All right. Well, our thanks to Lucio for sending that in. Again, if you have a catch of the day you'd like us to consider for use on air, you can send it to us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, I uh, recently had the pleasure of speaking with Gil Friedrich. He's from a company called Avanon. And uh, we were discussing how some uh, bad actors are taking advantage of some of the uh, common messaging apps that organizations use to communicate internally uh, to fraudulently make their way in and to do the things they want to do. Here's my conversation with Gil Friedrich. So it actually started from a, uh, a customer reporting this to us. This is uh, one of the largest U.S. municipalities. And they basically drew our attention to this because initially we were blocking it. Then some of their end users said, hey, this is actually legitimate. And then uh, so they were releasing it. And then some of their end users said, oh, no, no, this is actually not legitimate. What's going on? So. Um, that's that's what you know sort of put the spotlight uh, for our uh, anti-phishing team to try to understand what was it exactly it was on yeah. the border between you know just fraudulent criminal phishing and maybe something else so that that's what intrigued us well let's walk through it together here i mean um take us through the details what exactly were folks finding in their inbox so at the end of the day the the senders, the company behind it, it is a legitimate pension fund that basically asks mostly, you know, I want to say um, local government employees, municipalities, counties, etc., to have them as the managers of their pension funds, you know, probably that they get from their employers. Hmm. So this is all legitimate. What I guess what wasn't, what started to be fishy here um, were two things. First, when you read the context, most of the recipients, any, let's say, any naive recipient would say, uh, this email came from my city, right? This is my municipality, my employer, almost instructing me to take a meeting with our new pension fund. That's how they positioned the email that, um, you know, sort of that the municipality had made some change and, you know, is 
part of the service to you, uh, you need to schedule a meeting with this with this company. Once we saw that with the specific municipality I mentioned, we looked across other uh, sled uh, customers we have, and we saw you know school districts that had it and other municipalities, etc. So it seemed to be pretty widespread, and it was you know the same tactic of almost looking like your employer was sending you an email and telling you that you need to set an appointment. And what sort of things were in the email to make it seem as though it might have been coming from the employer? So it starts with, first, the from. You look at the from. It's assistance for, you know, name of school district personnel or something like that. So the reach out looks as if it comes from your employer, from, you know, uh, from the organization you work for. And then it looks like something annual. So it says, you know, it talks about you being an employee. It says every year, every employee of, you know, of our whatever municipality, school district is eligible to schedule a meeting. They also insinuate in some of the emails that there was a change. So, you know, you have to act. We change, you know, it's something new. It's something changed. You need to act in order to take care of your pension. Yeah, so all, all of these basically point to the fact that, hey, you're, Employer has made a change. It's you know it is about your pension, and you have to schedule a meeting with these guys. And so, if I click through to set an appointment, what happens next? So that that's when they turn legitimate. So that's when you know they come in and they say, you know, we're such and such. We are a pension fund, and and you know we would like to give you an offer. The interesting thing is one more thing is the name that that company chose for itself is very similar to a very large uh, le- legitimate pension fund that was actually suing them in, in uh, I believe, in Colorado for, mm-hmm. you know, trying to use a similar name. So when they thought about, you know, what's our go-to-market? How are we going to get, you know, people move, uh, move their pension to be managed by us? They thought, let's choose a name that is similar to someone big, Let's go after maybe um, the less tech-savvy audiences that we can find in the audience we address, etc. And I guess they found that sweet spot within, uh, you know, government employees where the pension is anyway managed uh, in a certain way, and, and they were just able to replicate that process. So the end result wasn't fraudulent, I believe. The end, you know, they weren't stealing anyone's money. Mm-hmm. This is why it's interesting as well. Most phishing attacks, you know, it's just thieves on the other side that, you know, you, you lost your money if you fall, fall uh, for, the, for the scam. In this case, the end result wasn't necessarily fraudulent, but everything leading to it was, you know, you had impersonation, using someone else's name, uh, you know, not really revealing who you are in the first email, etc. They also... Once they started to see that they were getting blocked, this is where they got to um, really what we see from phishing attacks. So changing their domains, changing the sending IP, and so on and so forth, so that any filter that is trying to uh, uh, to block them, you know, will fail. This is when they became a moving target. So everything about them, other than the end result, looks very much like a phishing attack. Hmm. Yeah, it's a really, I mean... <laughs> I guess it's an interesting tactic to take as a, as a sales approach to try to um, 
deceptively schedule a meeting with someone, even though the ultimately the, the business might be legitimate. I think most people who would look at this as a way of, uh, of prospecting um, doesn't really seem to be on the up and up. Correct. And, and in general, philosophically, you know, I, I had this discussion with our data analysts, actually, uh, the people that are behind the algorithm, the phishing algorithm we run, because, you know, the algorithm at the end needs to say it's a legitimate email or spam or marketing or phishing. And so we had this discussion, what's the borderline between what is spam and what is marketing, for example, or what is phishing and what is marketing? And in general, the assumption is that, uh, you know, spam, if you think about these axis of how many emails they sent and, and how... Uh, fraudulent or deception the, the campaign is, and you can sort of put the area of, of which one would fall in, where generally speaking, marketing would be something driven from something they know about you, right? You've shown interest in one thing, and they'll send you an email of another thing. You already have an office in Manhattan. They offer you a, you know, a better office. It's, it's not invited. You can consider that spam, but it's not widespread. When it's Everything just sent to everyone, you know, they offer you to buy whatever, Viagra. They don't know anything about you. You know, they send millions of millions of emails. That's when it becomes uh, a clear spam. And then mm. phishing is when the end result is not legitimate, right? So it's not so much about the email, right? If at the end they would sell you fake pills of, you know, Viagra or COVID-19 vaccine or whatever, then that's fraudulent if there's just, you know, taking the money. Oh, and, and the other thing about phishing, I would say, is that um, they hardly ever reveal their true intent, right? Because it's fraudulent. So they're using different tactics like impersonation and, you know, moving, uh, moving around so that uh, you don't really know who they are, etc. And even though the end result here wasn't fraudulent, everything else fell very much into those uh, categories of what we would consider phishing. Yeah, it's fascinating to, you know, if you read the, the sample of the email that they posted here, how you can see how deliberate they are in doing the things that they want to do, making it seem like they're coming from one organization, um, but also very carefully towing that line of not being, you know, actually deceptive. It seems as though every word is is very carefully chosen so that, um, you know, they have a I suppose the opportunity to defend themselves if someone were to come at them, um, despite how, you know, clearly you can see what their intentions are here. Yeah, yeah. They could say, oh, well, I apologize right at the end. We'll fix it. Yeah, I agree with you completely. It's, um, and, and marketers do that all the time. I think here they cross the line, mostly in their impersonation side. So marketers, you know, I get a lot of emails, as, as you as well, probably with, you know, how are you, question mark, under the assumption that I'll open the email because, you know, more likely than if, if they were upfront about the objective. Right. Um, so marketers do this all the time in a sense. I think they also cross the line in marketing just from the impersonation aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the from is not the real from, etc. The reply to is different, is different than the from that's, uh, you know, commonly used by, uh, by, by phishing attacks. Yeah, it's interesting to me too. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, this this kind of puts you and and your colleagues in an interesting uh position here because 
all in the end, um, they're not trying to cheat people out of money. They're trying to sell them something that is legitimate, but the tactics that they're using are undesirable. Ultimately, how did you end up categorizing this? How, how did you, is this something that you filtered out so that it wouldn't end up in, in your users' inboxes? Uh, yes, eventually we did. And, um, and I, I believe most of our customers were happy with it. But you are touching an important point, and um, we don't see this with phishing attacks, right? No one wants phishing attacks in their inbox. Mm. We do see this with, you know, let's call them marketing emails, and it really depends on the recipient, where for one recipient, you know, this invite to a webinar would be super relevant and they want to get that email. And the same organization, a different recipient would say, this is spam, why are you showing this in my inbox? So, so I, yeah, so I think, you know, someone could consider this, hey, this is a service that, you know, might benefit me because I was actually worried about where my pension is saved. I wasn't happy with something. Right. Um, so you're right. At the end of the day with this one, we, uh, we blocked it. We also wrote this blog. And it goes back to the intent. So if you want to offer an employee of a municipality uh, uh, you know, another option for their pension, be upfront about it, say it. At that point, we would consider that marketing. And, and I think... The organization and us as a, as a filter would consider it legitimate and allow it through. All right, Joe, what do you think? Very interesting stuff, Dave. Uh, COVID definitely accelerated our movement to these other messaging apps, but uh, it was going to happen eventually. We were, we were going to be, mm. you know, I was already actually into Slack and we already had teams set up, I, although I hadn't used them nearly as much as I have here. And actually what I've used the most is Zoom, not really Slack. I think my Slack usage is probably around the same. Um, hmm. I'm not really a big fan of Slack. Um, you know, maybe it's just because I haven't been using it as much as I like. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm just not a big fan. I'd rather talk to somebody than sit there and type to them. Um, yeah. I would like to do that. I'd like to get a little more attention from them. Um, there is a change with an adjustment period, but we've had a lot of changes in such a short time. And I think that's really a big part of the issue, right? Like mm. we, we were going, you know, if, if we were going to be more organic in our changing, it would have been slower. You know, we would have gone from a rollout from one, from just email to Slack, maybe over a couple of years, but no, we didn't do that. We went into that in a, into that new environment in like a month, right? Uh, and I, right. Think, I think that that is a big part of the issue. So these platforms, we tend to think of them as a little more closed and there is this assumption of security. So a phishing email that harvests credentials and those credentials are then used to access, let's say, teams because Gil was exactly right. If I can, if I can break into somebody's uh, Microsoft 365 account I don't have access to just their email. I have access to all their files. I have access mm-hmm. to uh, to to their to their Teams accounts, so I can send messages as them. Uh, w- once you're in there, you're in there. But there's still the assumption of security, right? Still the mm-hmm. assumption that this mm-hmm. that this person is is the real person I'm talking to, because, like he said, it is everybody assumes it's vetted, right? Right. 
It all starts with an email that can be sent by anybody. This is why email still stinks, right? It's it's the only <laughs> service in the world where anybody can send you something. <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting that 3% of the Google Drive links are malicious. That was, I think that's that's stunning. That's a lot. I mean, if 3% of the files yeah. on your computer were malicious, you'd be terrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he talks about two layers, the tech and the people, and he really views users as a layer of security. And that's that's great. I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Uh, you know, I often yeah. say, if I was CISO or, you know, security awareness, whatever person in, in a company, that would be the first thing I'd tell everybody is, you know, you're all part of my security team now. If you see something, right. say something. And I expect that you guys are going to uh, not- notice these things when they come in. I'm also ex- expecting that sometimes you're going to fall for it, and that's okay. Just, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Let's just get it fixed. Yeah. You know, not long after Gil and I had this conversation, uh, I noticed on our own uh, Slack channel at the CyberWire, uh, one of my colleagues popped up with a second identification, like a, a, a different version of the same person than I was used to seeing. Huh. And I th- and it caught my attention, and and I reached out to this person on their original <laughs> account, a private message, and said, "I just want to check to make sure this is you," you know. And the person responded and said, "Yes, yes, that was me. I, you know, I accidentally logged in using a different device, and and so on and so forth. It was just a, it was an error on my part, but and thank you for checking." Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn here or anything, but I, having had the conversation with Gil, I think, put me in that frame of mind to be extra vigilant about this sort of thing. And, uh, and I'm glad I was. It turned out to be nothing, but right. it was better that I asked than not. So well, I'd say to everybody out there, it's, it's that old, uh, if you see something, say something thing, That's right. right. And that's why we do yeah. this podcast, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, our thanks to Gil Friedrich from Avanon for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.